All right, praise God. Well, we have been enjoying a series of messages on relationships, the DNA of relationships. We've been talking about these connections for, uh, this will be the final wrap-up four weeks of this series. We've been learning a lot about relationships. Uh, Some of the things we've been learning have to do with the fact that what really makes people happy, many researchers have discovered through the years, what really makes people happy is not maybe what you would expect. It has nothing to do with wealth. It has nothing to do with achievement. It has nothing to do with how good you look. It simply has to do with enjoying one another. Authentic relationships, year after year after year, is the clear choice of everyone when it comes to what is the most important thing to you, what is your highest value, and also what really makes you happy. And the answer that people give over and over again, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, the answer is the same, authentic relationships. You see, regardless of what we've been told, we really do need one another. Am I right? We really do need one another. God has made us that way as we've learned, not as independent, disconnected islands, removed and unrelated to one another. But in God's family, we are to be interrelated. God has created each of us to be a part and to be connected with a a family, a body, fellow members of the body of Christ. Our lives are to touch each other in very deep ways. Now, Today, we're going to focus on something specific as the conclusion. Last week, we talked about communication, some of the keys and guidelines for good communication. And uh, today, I'm going to talk to you about dealing with difficult relationships. Has anybody here ever had, I'm just curious, has anyone here ever found yourself in the midst of a difficult relationship? All right, I won't even try to define what that might look like, but I think we can all relate. If you're like me, I remember when I was real young, um, it just never dawned on me that there may come a time in my life where I would be challenged on how to uh, deal with and maintain uh, a relationship that we might call high maintenance, a difficult person. I I don't know, it just never entered in in my mind. Maybe my parents just hid me from that reality. But the truth of the matter is, I never realized it took a lot of work. That some relationships would really take extra work. Um, The truth of the matter is that uh, later on in in my life, I soon realized that. And I began to have relationships and friendships of different kind. And things got a little dicey. And I learned that some people were more difficult than others. Right? (laughs) If not impossible some, it seems impossible to really get along with, right? And I also learned that people would betray me. I learned that authority figures that I admired would disappoint me. I learned that a friend could snub me. I learned that sometimes a friend's broken confidence would even ruin my trust. I learned that even family members could leave me out of the loop. I learned that family reunions were sometimes the most challenging moments of all. Anybody hear what I'm talking about? There's always that weird Uncle Harry or, you know, everybody's got one, you know. I figured out, finally, that I could not abandon all my relationships just because they hit a snag. I finally figured out that there's simply, it's a part of life, you're going to have some difficult 
relationships. The reality is, in every relationship, you're going to have difficult moments. But there are some relationships that deserve the label difficult relationship. I learned that this is a truth. Everybody is somebody's impossible person at some time. I'm going to say that again. I can't give you chapter verse, but it is true. Everybody is somebody's impossible person some of the time. But rarely are people impossible all the time. There are occasions. And there are certain people that that fit that. But here's a good rule of thumb. The difficulty you experience with most people is in your relationship, not in the person themselves. I'm going to say that again. Most of the time, this is the rule of thumb. The difficulty that you experience in relationships with most people, it's not the relationship, I'm sorry, it it is not the person, but it is something in the dynamics or the chemistry and the relationship that make it specially challenging for you. Two people, I think we all are, most of us are mature enough to figure this out, two people can have totally different experiences and perspectives on a person. I discovered a long time ago that what somebody, someone that someone thought was a really difficult person to get along with, I thought, oh, that's not, they're not a problem. I don't have a problem at all. Have you even noticed that? That we all have different perceptions of relationships and different perceptions, even of the same person. So my conclusion is this. Difficult people are all in the eyes of the beholder. A lot of people think I'm difficult, but I know I'm not. But anyway, some people think that I'm difficult. I know better, but... Some people would think that. Carry more often than most. But anyway, we're today, what I thought would be helpful for us is that I want to do two things today. First of all, I want to talk about some of the, the, the com- most common difficult people that you run into, all right? And I don't have time to give you a complete list, exhaustive list. But we're going to give you some samplings of the anatomy of difficult people. And then I'm going to give you some very specific, biblically-based guidance about dealing with difficult relationships. Before I do, I think this is a fantastic launch scripture for us today. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. Look at it very carefully. If it is possible, the Apostle Paul writes, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Have you ever just stopped and reflected and meditated on that for a while? What it's basically saying is, it's first of all, it's suggesting that there may be moments that it's not possible. Am I right? It's implied here that there are relationships and there may be situations and there may be certain people that even though you do your best, you still can't quite get along with them. Come on, I'll have more amens than that. Y'all get along with everybody all the time? I need to talk to y'all. If it is possible, and then they have the qualifier, as far as it depends on you. In other words, we have to own a sense of responsibility to get along with people. We have to assume the responsibility to live at peace with everyone. Now, this kind of peace simply means a relational peace, a level of enjoying that shalom peace in a relationship. And all of us know when it's not there, right? How many of you have ever had that breakdown in a relationship and then you happen to be walking down the aisle at Walgreens and you go, oh, oh, and you turn right. 
Y'all know what I'm talking about? We've all been there. We've had that situation. But Paul is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as far as it depends on you, anything within your ability to control, as far as we are concerned, we can't change other people. We can't make other people become low maintenance who are already high maintenance. But what we can do is we can do everything in our power and ability to live at peace with everyone. That is a high bar, isn't it? That is a really high bar and a high biblical challenge. But I think it gives us some encouragement and some admonition to do it right. All right, let's talk about difficult people for a little bit, all right? Now, I just want to say from the beginning, I don't know. I'm going to share with you just five. I picked five high-maintenance people types to share with you. And I really, I'm certain that in this church, none of these at all. I just want to say that at the beginning, all right, that I'm not talking about any of you when I give these descriptions, all right? But I recognize that you may run into them in life, all right? So, so I just want to, don't, I don't want anybody walking out here saying, I can't believe the pastor would talk about me that way. If you feel, if you feel that pointed out, we, we need to have some counseling, all right? Just, I'll leave it at that. All right, so what we want to do is give you a little bit of a profile and some of the anatomy of some of these difficult people types, all right? So the first one, number one is the critic. I'm sure you've met them. The critic. The critic is the self-appointed nuisance (laughs) who constantly sizes you up and says that you're too easygoing, you're too serious, you're too short, you're too talkative, you're not talkative enough. There's always something, am I right? You know this person? This is a person that, I'm not sure it's a real word, but it's a southern word we used to use. They are nitpicking, all right? A nitpicking person who second guesses everything, your decisions, and they take great solace and pride in pointing out other people's mistakes. You know what I'm talking about? Their tone of their voice conveys disappointment in whatever aspirations you maybe have, they can literally shoot down all of your ideas. If you're particularly an idea person, man, if you hang around the critic, they will shoot down every idea that you have and give you multiple reasons why it can't work. They can always find a justification, it seems, for their criticism. They are simply the critic. All of us, I think, can fall into the trap of criticizing Am I right? We can all fall into that habit of criticizing and developing a critical judgmental spirit. I find particularly I get that way later in the day. So you want to avoid me later in the evening. But, but I find that it, all of us can get critical from time to time. And we have to repent of that. Am I right? Anybody say amen with me on that? But the critic is someone that seems this is their profile. I mean, this is kind of who they are much of the time. They feel like someone appointed them in charge of pointing out everyone's faults. It just amazes me sometimes. I like to call them sometimes that they have appointed themselves as the sheriff of the kingdom. They think that they are now the sheriff of the kingdom, which means they're in charge of making sure that everybody knows what they've done wrong, and it's their responsibility to point it out. Oftentimes, tell people, just take the badge off, because you are not the sheriff of the kingdom. Yeah, critics need to hear that. Now, what's their anatomy? There's a couple things that you can remember usually about the critic. First of all, they tend to be very perfectionism 
uh, focus. They, they tend to be perfectionist. I, I found many times that they're not perfectionist about their own life and behavior, but they're perfectionist when it comes to other people. So they want everybody else to reach up to this perfection standard, but many times they give themselves a lot of slack and a lot of mercy. It's kind of weird that way. These are also people who tend to be very driven people. They never seem to shut down. They're many times even extremely hard, even on themselves, but they're just driven all the time. And sometimes it's like, how can I get away from this person? Have y'all ever been there? They can be very bossy, very bossy, very controlling, very directive, very uh, dictating. They're judgmental and frequently arrogant about it. Now, this is the person, just remember, this is the critic. What is their main characteristic? They constantly complain and they give unwanted advice. How many of you have ever met the critic? Okay. If you haven't, I can introduce you to a few of them if you would like to meet one. Uh All right, that's the critic. Let's look at a second profile, all right? The second one is the martyr. Ever met this person? Been around them? The martyr. The best way I can describe the martyr is they are forever the victim. And they are usually wrecked with self-pity. They are the best at throwing what I call pity parties. They're always, woe is me, always about, and, and once again, it, it seems to be always about them. It's, it's pretty much true with many of these uh, high-maintenance people, personalities, is that it tends to be very self-based at the end of the day. But specifically with the martyr, uh, you know, I think for many of us, we, we may have to deal with self-pity from time to time, but it's fleeting. It's just, it just comes and goes. It's, it's just you know, a general reminder that life isn't always fair. And, and we, we deal with it. It crosses our radar. And then we get rid of it. We deal with it. But for the martyr, for this person, self-pity is like an ongoing chronic infection that leads people to always become their victims. Uh, these, pe- these people uh, can be knocked over by the smallest little difficulty, um, a burned dinner, uh, their life's falling apart. Okay. Uh, a traffic jam. Oh man, they just implode over a traffic jam. So it doesn't take a lot. They tend to stay down. They're usually despondent. They stay down. They generally feel hopeless and helpless and, uh, they give in easily to real and imagined unfairness. Sometimes they actually do experience unfairness, uh, but they also imagine a lot of it as well. And they also will tend to push away the help of a generous friend. So you come, you'll get your hand bit pretty quick. If you try to try to help out the martyr, uh, it's not easy because they many times will react and uh, they'll frequently say something like this. Oh, don't worry about me. I'm fine. But what they're really saying is, you don't have any time for my troubles. And it's always, again, about poor them, woe is me. Uh, I think maybe uh, Eeyore uh, was a good example of, of the martyr, probably. It's just my guess. Uh, not being a psychologist, but that's my guess. Uh, martyrs feel spurned by the world, by everyone. Solutions to their problems, no matter how 
powerful just can't seem to penetrate their constant complaining. They have trouble learning from other people. They're so focused on me and how bad stuff is for me, they just shut down their learning capacities, and they don't learn. Um, Their general anatomy, as I have it on the screen, is they are defeated, passive, self-blaming, helpless. They feel like they they can't do anything about their destiny at all, and they're irrational. That's the martyr. Have you ever met someone that fits some of those characteristics? They can be very challenging people to be around. Number three is the wet blanket. Who is the wet blanket? The wet blanket is someone who is given to pessimism, and they are automatically negative. I mean, they're just automatically negative. The wet blanket. They treat the possibility of a happy ending (laughs) with distaste and contempt. Like, for example, you've just won a free trip to the Caribbean. Really? It's probably full of mosquitoes, and this will probably happen, and I just can't live with the jet lag. I mean, there's always something that's wrong. And they have the ability to burst anybody else's balloon. So please, do not have a party around them. Please do not get overly joyful in the Lord around them, because they will immediately apply the wet blanket treatment. They're automatically negative about whatever makes you excited. They're automatically negative. If you win something, you have an accomplishment, you have a victory, you get a promotion, they're disappointed. And they're going to help you to be disappointed as well. These are people who will give into uh, negativism by nature. But what happens is friends or relationships, people that are in relationship with them, will frequently feel the effects of that wet blanket. And you got to be really careful because that thing will shut you down and cause you also to eternalize and be negative about things, even to the point of depression. And many times wet blanket folks are depressed and they're just trying to bring everybody else into their negativity. A little anatomy of them. They are cynical, just cynical, Sometimes they are very discounting, saying things like, sure, you made it this time, but let's see if you can do it again when it really counts. Something like that. They tend to be very deflating, deflating as I mentioned. They'll burst your bubble, snuff out your excitement at the, at the chance. Uh, they are always fault-finding, and they're contagiously negative. Contagiously negative. Uh, all of these people, uh, for me, these are all high-maintenance relationships. It really takes a lot of grace to deal with these kinds of people. But um, wet blankets I find particularly difficult. I'm just confessing. Uh, I don't know for certain, but possibly Thomas, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, possibly he could have been a wet blanket. I don't know. We know that he had some problems with doubt and unbelief, and he got a little negative at times, didn't he? But uh, we're not really sure. But uh, it's possible that he could also uh, fit into that profile. All right, let's let's look at the fourth one, all right? The fourth one is the steamroller. The steamroller. Maybe you've met this person. Um, They are, by nature, blindly insensitive to other people. Blindly insensitive to others. They're never afraid of making waves. They don't mind causing fireworks. They just roll in and roll over people. 
I've noticed that they tend to speak always when they speak verbally. It's always with an exclamation point. Instead of a period at the end of the sentences, it's always with an exclamation point. These are the people who will use all caps in a text or an email. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right, now some of you are feeling guilty right now, I can see. This is a person who, who I call them verbal terrorist. I mean, they put everybody on high alert when they're around because they will roll right over you. They want to impose their view of order. They want to impose that on everyone and everything. And they generally feel like it's always their, their ongoing motto in life is it's my way or the highway. It's always about my way. And uh, this, this is someone who is just, as I said, they are blindly insensitive to other people. Their anatomy, just a quick uh, survey of their anatomy, they're arrogant, independent, condescending, can be very, very political, and usually have agendas that are maybe not always spoken, but there's an agenda behind the way that they relate with people. They are stubborn and frequently rude. This is the steamroller. Anybody ever met one? It takes a lot of grace, doesn't it? All right, number five, the fifth. Uh, I think you can see where we could go on for hours listing high-maintenance people types, right? But anyway, I've limited it to five to keep you from feeling too depressed. All right, number five. Number five is what I just call the gossip. The gossip is the person who constantly and almost addictively spreads rumors and leaks secrets. They spread rumors and leak secrets. This is a person who makes headlines and headaches. This is the person who uh, is, has a loose set of lips and is frequently sharing, talking, over-talking. And you can always know, oh, don't, I've heard people actually say this, and it's sad to say, but many times in, in the body of Christ. Don't tell them. If you tell this to them, <laughs> it's a wrap, as Glenn said. Yeah, it's a wrap. I mean, if you tell them, then basically you can chalk it up because everybody's going to know about it. In fact, I have used gossipers intentionally as communication vehicles. So, yeah. Yeah. So if I want to get something out, you know, it's like if I want to leak something, then I just go to a couple of strategic people and make sure they know. And I, you know, I don't have to do any internal marketing at all. I just know right there, it's all taken care of. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. There's a company called United Technologies and they uh, and they had this as, uh, on, their, uh, on their HR policies. They wrote this. They said, before you repeat a story, ask these questions. I thought it was really good. They said, before you repeat a story or you, you repeat something, ask these three questions. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it fair? Number three, is it necessary? Number four, if not, shut up. That was their, that was their human resource view on trying to deal with people who can spread rumors quickly. You know, the Apostle Paul deals with this very directly, we know in the Bible. In 1 Timothy 5.13, he warns of the destruction that can be done among Christians in the Christian community, and he, ta- he calls them gossips and busybodies. A busybody. A gossip and a busybody. And it talks about the things they ought not to say. Interesting scripture. Gossip is wrong. 
Gossip is evil. But I think we're living in a day where it's never, it doesn't seem to have ever been more popular and pervasive. Today, people simply have more technology to use. So now they have the ability to tweet their gossip. Now they have the ability to share it on social media, to place it on their Facebook account. It's amazing to me what people will place on social media. But it appears as though I'm out of touch with some, and that's their, simply their way of expressing what's on their mind. I like to challenge people, everything that goes through your mind does not need to appear on social media. It's just a thought here, okay? Just consider, just a thought, all right? Today's media fuels gossipers. It fuels it, and it makes it. And the reason I'm taking a moment to camp out here, because I think what's going on in terms of technology, which has some great assets to it, obviously, for us and advantages, but it can also turn into something that actually makes this sin of gossip all the more dangerous and more threatening simply because of how pervasive it can become. So the anatomy of the gossip. Now, I think we could all agree we can all fall into the problem of gossiping. We can all sin in that way. I'm just going to call it what it is. It's sin, all right? So we can all do that, we can, and then we all need to confess it and deal with it and repent. But I'm not talking about just falling into gossip. That's wrong. But I'm talking about the gossip. I'm talking about the person who embodies gossip. Okay, and that is pretty much, that, that's them. They are what? Talkative. Frequently they are pseudo-secretive. Now here's the catch. That they they want to sound like they're secretive. It always sounds like, don't let anybody else know about this, bud. Now this is kind of like high, high security information. The truth of the matter is everybody already knows about it. But they also can be very intrusive. They can be vicious, literally, uh, behind the back, blood sport of ruining people and their reputations. Uh, Proverbs 16, 28 says what? That a gossip separates close friends. A gossip will separate close friends. Now, I, I share with you five of these um, people types these are what sometimes we call high-maintenance relationships, or they definitely, definitely would fall in the category of difficult people to deal with. And um, many, many years ago, a friend uh, shared with me a designation of, uh, in, in, in relationships and dealing with people. He said, I simply have labeled these people for the sake of you know, talking about how we deal with this and how we deal with that. He said, I've simply decided to use the term EGR. And I went, EGR? I said, what, 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 what is an EGR? It sounds, like, it sounds like a warning light on your car. You know? I mean, what is an EGR? And they said, oh, an EGR. It's an extra grace required person. Meaning that there are certain people that you simply have to amp up your grace for. You know what the truth of the matter is? Every one of us from time to time become EGRs. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, that's me. All right, that's me. From time to time, all of us can become EGRs, and we need people's grace. So now I'm going to give you some suggestions here in the last few moments that I have for dealing with some of these difficult relationships, but I just want to emphasize probably if I could just say one thing that would summarize all of them is that God has given to us His grace. 
His grace means what? He unconditionally loves us. He has acceptance for us. He's opened up his arms and he's embraced us even though we don't deserve it. Am I right? That is God's grace. We we are called, you and I are called, to take that grace and reflect it to others. So how we deal with difficult people and, and, and people who maybe aren't normally difficult, but they happen to be difficult on this one day out of the month, or whether they are maybe one of these high-maintenance types, what we simply have to do is walk in grace and remind ourselves. I frequently have to ask myself, God, how do you feel about this person? How do you feel about this person? And immediately I'm thinking, man, that's not how I felt at all. So I, I have to say, all right, Lord, I'm choosing to accept your perspective and your grace and your love for this person in spite of their this, 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 this. I choose to have grace with them. So in keeping with that, let me give you six suggestions. Number one, look within yourself. Does that sound scriptural? Yes, it is. Yeah. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. goes on to say, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank of wood in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take that speck out of your eye, when at the same time you have a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. Jesus told it like it was. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What's the lesson? Look within yourself. Before you get too judgmental and too high-minded, look at yourself and realize that you actually may be the critic that you actually may be a part of the problem. So the first step is look within yourself. The second suggestion is put yourself in their shoes. All of us have heard this statement before. You've never truly known someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. You've heard that phrase before. Uh, it's not a Bible verse, by the way. But anyway, it, there is some truth there. And that is that we need to seek to be understanding about people. You don't know the baggage people have. You don't know the junk that people have been through in their life. You and I many times don't have a clue as to the challenging, traumatic experiences that people have gone through. And then, we're, and then once we find that out, we go, oh, well, I kind of understand now why they're a little difficult to deal with. Right? Doesn't it change your perspective a little bit and shift your heart whenever you find out uh, really what their background is? Why don't we just extend a little grace and understanding towards everyone? I would appreciate it. I know you would too. Why don't we just choose to be more understanding? Bonhoeffer said in his letters and papers from prison, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they have suffered. Isn't that strong? Yeah. So we need to develop the art of empathy. The art of empathy. Number three. Number three. Respond to difficult relationships, particularly when there is a, an offense, but respond with a loving and forgiving spirit. We know the Bible teaches us that love is patient. And we're talking about the God kind of love, right? 
kind of love that's supposed to be a fruit of the Spirit? Everybody's familiar with those, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't envy. Doesn't boast. It's not proud. Doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrongs. Now, I think you would tell me very quickly, that'd be a pretty, that's a pretty good antidote right there for most difficult relationships. When you're offended, if you're offended, forgive. If it's not an offense and it's just something, it's, you know, you have a relationship with someone and they may be one of these kinds of difficult people, or maybe they're just difficult. Maybe they don't fit in any of those types, but they're just difficult. They're being difficult today. Guess what? Just love them. Just love them and say, sometimes I find myself saying, God, you got to help me love them. I, 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 I'm not feeling it right now towards this person. So I'm calling upon the love of God that you say in Romans is in my heart. I'm calling on the love of God to rise up and to, you know, dominate what I'm really thinking and feeling here. We have to be loving. Even forgiving. Jesus tells us in Mark eleven twenty five, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Unforgiveness can block your prayer life. Holding an offense against someone can keep you from progressing in the Lord. It can, it can shut you down in so many ways. So what is the answer? Just respond to these people in situations with a loving and forgiving spirit. Number four, manage your expectations of others. I find that one of the things that happens is when we expect too much of one another, I'm expecting you to perform here, or I'm Expect, expecting your maturity level to be here. If you expect, if you have inappropriate expectations or too high of expectations of people's behavior, you're, I promise you, you're going to be disappointed. So miss, this is the rule, misplaced expectations will always lead to disappointment. I'm not saying we ought to encourage people to go higher. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we ought to help people climb the mountain and do great things for God and have great expectations of their potential. But in terms of how I deal with people day to day, we need to manage our expectations and simply not expect more than where they're at. Once again, we don't know everything that's going on. We don't know what has contributed to their strange behavior today. Number five, find some good. Now, with some people, I have to look harder than others. But find some good. Look hard. Find, it, it, yes, we see, the, we see the blemishes. We see the issues. We see the, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm dealing with this steamroller today. Or I, I can't, this person is just like, they're just, that's, this is the way they always are. Then cha challenge yourself. I'm determined to find what are the positives and the good traits. I want to find any spark of Jesus in this person's life that I can find. In some people, we have to look harder than in others, right? Y'all are acting very genuine today, like y'all are in agreement. That's, this is true. This is how life is, right? Uh, by the way, I like what Abraham Lincoln said. Listen to what he said. He said, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. Isn't that good? He said, I don't like that man. I just have to get to know him better. That's great. Lastly, number six, establish and guard your personal boundaries. I don't have time to get into boundaries. It's a huge discussion. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud and others have written on a subject and, and many wonderful resources. But you need to establish boundaries. You say, what is a boundary? It's simply a limit that establishes safety 
and parameters that allow you to fulfill your life and to live your life in a way that is healthy and balanced. So, for example, um, in dealing with difficult relationships, if you have no boundaries, you're going to get offended a whole lot. If you have no personal boundaries that you've established in your life, your family, your marriage, if you don't have any boundaries that are emotional or time boundaries or, or whatever, it, it, then, then those difficult relationships can just ruin you and you won't be able to deal with them. In fact, you'll be running from people rather than having real good connection. So what I suggest is establish, figure out what are some reasonable boundaries for you to establish. So for example, I have a boundary uh, on, on my Sabbath. And guess what? It's not Sundays, all right? So for us, our Sabbath, I mean, you know, God rested today. I'm not going to need to tell you that, right? So for us, our Sabbath is Monday. So unless someone is dying, a really, really, really crisis, real crisis, not perceived crisis, but a really a real, real crisis, then we're, we're, sh- we're off the grid. We just shut, we, our effort is we're shut down. What is it? We simply say, well, this has got to be a boundary or else we're totally out of health. We're out of balance. And then we're no good to God or anybody else. Right? So we have to all have boundaries. We also need emotional boundaries. So we, in the past, Carrie and I both have many relationships that we're just like ruined by them. Like, oh man. And we just had not learned to establish some boundaries, emotional boundaries, and how far we'd allow certain people to go and to encroach, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's wisdom for you to establish and then to maintain these boundaries. So I've given to you six suggestions for these difficult relationships. The truth of the matter is, any of us can be difficult at any time. When was the last time you were difficult? I think for me it was yesterday. All right. I think today so far I've been all right. But yesterday I was difficult. All right. Would you stand to your feet with me? I'm going to ask that our ministry teams, prayer teams would come forward. Aren't you glad that God forgives us? Aren't you glad that God also gives us wisdom in how to walk out relationships in a godly way, in a biblical way, in a way that will lead to to the fulfillment of real community? So as these prayer teams are coming forward, they're coming forward because they're there to minister to you and to pray with you if you have any needs at all. Maybe it's a need for physical healing. Maybe it's some emotional hurt. Maybe you said, maybe you have a broken relationship since we've been wrapping up today about relationships and you really want the Lord to touch it and heal it. I challenge you. Let someone agree with you in prayer today. Maybe you do not have the most important relationship of all and that is a relationship with Jesus. He can be and will be your best friend. But you have to invite him into your life. And if that is your need and situation, come and let one of these prayer teams minister to you today. I'm going to ask that Denise would come and she's just going to declare a blessing over you as you leave today.